my experience with the circular economy comes kind of from that cradle to cradle idea that, you know, instead of thinking about products and services in this kind of linear fashion where you extract something from the earth, you create something, you sell it to somebody, and then they ultimately dispose it at end of life. How can we create a, a system where the end product goes back to the beginning? Kind of that circle of life idea. Not having enough work. Climate change. Blended finance. AI. Antibiotic resistant diseases. Education. Employment of private capital for social goods. Quantum computing. In this episode, we're talking about different business models and how some business models might be more appropriate and more fit for the future, both for the planet, for people, um, and for shareholders. And later on, we're going to be talking to Charmaine Love, who was one of the people who brought the B Corp movement to the UK. Um, but before we do that, we, um, I'm just sitting here with Michael Ann Butler, who is not only one of the producers on the Future Business podcast, but also um, has a real interest in this area and has spent a lot of time thinking and um, reflecting on it. So before we dive into a bit of a conversation and introduction to some of the uh, topics we're going to be talking about today, um, Michael, why don't you give us a little background on you? What, what were you up to before you came to business school and what, I guess, sparked your interest in this area? Yeah. So I used to work in the carbon offset space. So it was an alternative business kind of looking at how we can use the forces of capitalism for environmental good. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we were protecting a big rainforest um, in the DRC and then using that to absorb carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And I've been quite interested in business school because I think um, for a lot of us that are passionate about uh, seeing kind of social and environmental justice, there's a lack of understanding that, that business is oftentimes the language and the catalyst for making that happen. And so I came to business school to, to learn that language better. Mm-hmm. Um, and while you've been here, what areas have you particularly kind of spent some time thinking and reflecting on in amongst all of the madness <laughs> that we go through? I was just reflecting on, on that uh, question this morning as I was um, coming in. I, and uh, the business school experience has been so scattered. Um, but I think uh, where I've gotten to kind of ponder the most um, have, have actually been in conversations with other students who have deep backgrounds in um, particularly the circular economy bit that we're getting to later and um, thinking about kind of bringing alternate ways of thinking in with alternate uh business models as well so we talk a lot about design thinking and I've really been enjoying that process okay and so um for someone who uh so later we're going to be talking to Charmaine and we, we talk about uh we talk about B Corps and we talk about circular economy one of the risks for those who are thinking about these subjects is that we use a language which alienates those who aren't thinking about those subjects. Right. So give us a bit of a glossary. What are the what are the kind of what are the drivers of the B Corp movement? What is wrong about, you know, in its simplistic mm-hmm. forms? What's wrong now that means that we need something like B Corps? And when you're thinking about B Corps, what are the kind of things we should be thinking about? Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I think in terms of the the sort of glossary bit, the 
B Corp movement kind of was birthed out of a frustration with this idea that um, shareholder value is the, the primary purpose of business, that, mm-hmm. the, that the business of business is business and, and that alone. Um, and it ignored the fact that um, businesses are out there, uh, there's this term externalities, right? Um, businesses, by the very nature of you know producing widgets or, or whatever they're doing, are putting carbon into the atmosphere, are putting um, fertilizers into rivers that are going down um, and creating algae blooms. Um, the B Corp movement is one amongst a kind of spectrum of uh, kind of optimistic reiterations of, of capitalism, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of along the lines of, as I mentioned, the circular economy. Uh, conscious capitalism is another name that's kind of thrown around there. Uh, responsible business. Uh, mutuality is one that's come out there. But but really what they're all aiming for is um, holding businesses responsible for uh, their actions, not only to shareholders, but also to stakeholders. So anybody that is impacted from um, the person kind of way down on the producing the raw materials to the person that's ultimately going to be buying it. So these are models which are not trying to wholesale chuck the baby out of the out with the bathwater, but within the kind of capitalist tools that we have, trying to rethink how they can be slightly restructured or rejigged. And I guess for, for B Corps, they attack that through a kind of governance, a corporate governance perspective. Is that kind of a accurate? Summary? Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Um, so I think what's what's different about B Corps and and kind of conscious capitalism from the charity sector is that uh, the idea is financial sustainability. Mm-hmm. So we're not um, continuing to go back to um, do-gooders and philanthropists and saying, you know, please, out of the goodness of your heart, give us this money so that we can do this cool project and help, you know, save these people or whatever. It's um, saying we, we need to f- um, find sustainable mechanisms to make this the natural course. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so instead of kind of offsetting the bad that we do, just not doing th- that bad in the first place. Right, right, right. Through the kind of, uh, I guess, fundamentals of, of what the business does. Exactly. So when we think about these models and think about them kind of critically as as we should, um, what are the, some of the outstanding questions that should be in our mind when we're having these conversations? Some of the outstanding questions. Um so I, th- I think some of the things that have come up a lot through the course of this MBA are, um, you know, is it too little too late? Um, and I think uh, many of us have are wondering, you know, what is, is this just a drop in the bucket? And um, are there ways to scale this such that all business is done differently or the businesses that are um, kind of radically changing their approach um, to, to kind of have their impact expand much more more quickly and and to kind of also how, how do we create continuity right uh, so Unilever is often used as an example of a business that's really trying to uh, redefine the way that it does business and it you know it's famously switched to annual uh, reporting and stuff like that but but still some of its product lines are problematic um, in different parts of the world right um, and so I think that leads into another question is of, you know, to what degree do we hold people accountable? And, and is there a process that we're allowing people to go through as they're developing and changing their business model? I think for me, there's also the question of environmental and social justice are 
um, it's often kind of one or the other. You're oftentimes a little bit more focused on how, how do we reduce our carbon footprint or um, you know reduce the plastic or whatever, um, and, or kind of wholesale focused on right. how do we get people jobs that wouldn't otherwise get jobs or uh, you know how do we make sure that this is uh, slavery free or, mm. or whatever. And um, I think for me that's one of the other big questions is how do how do we um, bring consistency in in that part of the business as well. So you said something which I thought was quite interesting about these sort of, you know, Unilever is often held up as the standard bearer for these types of movements, notably, and should be said, it's not a B Corp, but is looking at it. Is there a sort of acknowledgement yet among circles that none of these organisations are going to be perfect and even the B Corps wouldn't all necessarily be perfect? Like, you know, Ben and Jerry's is a B Corp, but it also sells ice cream, right? Uh, you know, which is not, you know, absolutely love it and don't want to get rid of it, but it's not something we should, you know, all be eating all the time. Right. So is there a kind of um, acknowledgement that this is a process and we can't expect all businesses to be perfect all the time? And every time we think they are, you know, there, then there's the kind of the latest scandal of, of one form or another. So is there a sort of, um, a, what standard are we holding to, I guess, what I'm asking? And, and within the, the circle of people that you speak to and, and, and debate these things with, is there a sort of acknowledgement that it's okay to know that they're not going to be perfect immediately? You know, I think it's, I don't think there's a consensus thought on it. I think um, there are a lot of kind of backseat drivers and it's really easy to kind of stand on the outside and say you know look uh yeah ben and jerry's is uh flawed for these reasons and you know what about the sugar that goes mm. into it and what about obesity all this stuff um and it's much more difficult to be the man in the arena that is you know trying to put out fires on all these fronts mm. while shifting their fundamental business model and all that kind of stuff um and i i think one of the reasons that there's really not consensus is that we as consumers haven't really owned up to um, our demands mm. driving business practices, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I certainly wouldn't go so far as to say that it's all on the consumer to, to pressure businesses into changing. Um, I think, but I think it needs to be more of a conversation, and it tends to be more binary. Um, I think a lot of critics I've met have kind of said, "Well, you know, if if there were businesses that I I could buy from." that I felt good about, I would, right. but there aren't. And so, right. um, so I just kind of do whatever. Um, similarly on the business's end, they're saying people still buy ice cream. And, and as you mentioned, I, I still, I, <laughs> I was, as I was, you know, pulling all nighters and writing my papers, I think I went through like three or four pints. <laughs> um, and so, so I think, I think, I suppose that at this juncture, the consensus is there's a lot of criticism and my hope is that we move into a more nuanced conversation about um, what what is accept what is an acceptable process of transition for businesses, mm. um, and what's an acceptable process of transition for consumers as well. Um, you know, does are we expecting people to move from zero to sixty? You know, the, so zero being they're using tons of plastic, they're flying, they're driving to you know. I cycle everywhere and um, I buy everything in bulk in like glass jars right, right. Or, or I grow it myself, you know, something. Uh, and, you know, how do we, how do we create space for people to be in that continuum? Mm. Um, that, that's my hope. And I don't, but I don't think that we're there. Do you think that there's a kind of a fear of being accused of being a hypocrite, which stops some businesses 
doing more or at least being more public about what they are doing than they might otherwise? I think so. So in in the States, there's uh, quite a few really big businesses that are pretty active in patenting technology. um, uh, So I I went to a presentation by Walmart, actually, a number of years ago about... um, how recycling for them is really just a matter of practicality and saving money, which is in line with you know their kind of save money, live better ethos. Mm-hmm. Um, but that they used up all of their old uh, coat hangers from from you know the really cheap coat hangers that you get clothes on. Mm-hmm. Um, they recycle those once they break into the filling for their dog beds. You know, so so it is baby steps like that. But I only heard about that in a kind of a small presentation mm-hmm. setting because. Um, you know, it would be too off-brand for them to really start talking about it and, and would, I think, draw more criticism for them um, than it would be worth, right? Um, and I, I think a lot of other companies are kind of caught in that space, especially because the ones name brand, B Corps, are, you know, kind of Patagonia, Ben & Jerry's, uh, Method, stuff that are all fast-moving consumer goods. Mm. And I maybe there's a, a sense that a lot of the companies that are kind of public B Corps are FMCGs, fast-moving consumer goods, and there's pro- a perception that, um, okay, it's easy for, easy in quotes, for them um, because, uh, you know, there's a very clear supply chain and um, it, we understand the steps that it's mm-hmm. going to take for them to ha- have an ethical business. Um, what, what do you do if you're an accounting firm? What do you do... If you're a graphic designer, um, I actually ran across a graphic designer in the UK that's a B Corp, and, and that was really exciting because they, they were thinking about it. Okay, well, you know, a lot of what we do is on the internet. How do we how do we go green with our web hosting, and and what does that mean? And you know, is that uh, different models of cooling and stuff like that? And um, yeah, I, I don't think that um, I think there's not clarity in these more service oriented business on on what that can look like because because we're used to kind of tangible, tactile, Mm. uh, as consumers at least. And and I think for a lot of, certainly not wholesale, but I think for a lot of people, um, the B Corp movement is about uh, kind of putting a stake in the ground and saying this is what we believe in. And and then it it kind of attracts a flock of like-minded consumers. Um, And and so it is, uh, yeah, it's it's, it's a label. And so if, if your business isn't kind of one that, people interact with in that way in a, on a grocery store, store aisle, it, it, do, you, do you need that label? Is that mm. worthwhile? Um, and I think that's also a conversation that's worth having. Yeah. Brilliant. You've set us up fantastically to speak to Charmaine in a bit. Thank you, Charles, so much for joining us today. Um, we are here to talk about B Corps, which is something I know you've dedicated a lot of your life to. But before we do that, I'd love if you maybe could give us a bit of an introduction to you and your background and also how you came to be at the business school as well. Oh, excellent. Yeah, so my name is Charmian Love. Um, I feel like I've been floating around this business school for actually quite a long time. Um, so without doing a, like a whole chronological sure. sort of bio because actually pretty boring um uh so I guess I describe myself as a bit of an entrepreneur so I had the great privilege of starting a business when I moved here to the UK um from Toronto with uh, John Elkington who's um one of the sort of thought leaders around sustainability and systems 
innovation, um, as well as Pamela Hardigan, um, who was the former director here at the School Centre. Um, and we started this business called Bowlands back in 2008, which was a really fun, it is a really fun business, which focuses on sort of systems change, breakthrough innovation, um, and a whole lot of really interesting dynamics that are happening in the world. Um, I stepped away from my CEO role um, a couple of years ago um, in order to support and really be involved in sort of getting the B Corp movement up and going here in the UK, mm -hmm. um, which I'm excited to talk to you about today. And, and the reason why um, I did that was actually one of the really important milestones um, for our, us at Bolands um, or when I was there was certifying as a B Corp and we were the second business in the UK to do that. Um, so I'm happy to share a little bit yeah, more about awesome. B Corps, um, but yeah, I, I hang out now at the business school. I split my time in what I like to call a, a cocktail of different roles. Um, and the reason why I call it a cocktail is actually there's a whole lot of different roles that are not quite distinct or differentiated from one another. They're actually really wonderful and intoxicating because um, they're all mixed together and actually there's a couple of really common themes through them. So um, B Corp is one of them and I chair B Lab UK. I'm also on the board of B Team here in the UK. Um, I serve on an advisory council at so the ICAEW because I believe accountants will save the world. Um, and I'm on an investment committee actually at the London Waste and Recycling Board, which awesome. has a circular economy route map. And then I spend time here as an entrepreneur in residence and general provocateur around <laughs> circular economy and all sorts of other topics. Yeah. So um, during the conversation, we're also hoping to talk about circular economy as well. But uh, just as a quick aside, um, just to kind of, I guess, shout out uh, Volans as well and John Eglinton for those who don't know and, and haven't come across that work before it is awesome and so we will put links and stuff in description so that people can go and follow up on that sort of jumping into B-Courts I mean one of we were sort of joking before that you know for those who know you really know and, and, and sort of B-Courts are this sort of extraordinary thing but there are maybe people who um, haven't come across them before and how do you describe them you know if you're breaking it down as it's most fundamental as you're describing it to a child how would you describe the B Corp? Yeah it's a really good question <laughs> um, and I'm trying to think about how I talk about what I do when it relates to B Corp to my kids who are five and seven right so they're not quite ten year olds yeah. <laughs> um, and it's interesting I actually recently asked them you know hey boys what what do you think mummy does yeah. for work and my son, one of my sons said, well, mommy, you're, you'll be the change. <laughs> and I think that's, uh, I mean, I was really proud of that. And I thought, well, that's a really great thing for my kids to think about how oh, I spend my time when I'm not with them. And I actually think that that boils down to actually a really interesting insight about the B Corp movement. Because one of the frames to the B Corp movement is be the change. Um, and, and I think the way that I would explain it a little bit more deeply is to say that, you know, we all as people um, want to do good things. Um, and actually, businesses are an organizing feature that allow us to think about ways in which we can um, make good things happen. And so um, I think the B Corp movement, which is, you know, uh, about businesses that have met um, a certification um, or a certain level and standard in terms of how they operate and what they're in the business of doing um, are a great manifestation of that idea of we as people um, can be the change and actually businesses can be a vehicle by which that change can be expressed. That's so awesome. And um, one of the things that's kind of interesting about B Corps is they're sort of like part of a variety of different words, which is used to describe, <laughs> you know, a whole kind of panoply of 
responsible business, purpose-led business, shared value, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do you see them fitting into that kind of overarching, I guess, I don't know, what is that, a range? Yeah. So it's interesting. I'm actually in the midst of a project right now, which is um, looking at a movement of movements. Right. <laughs> and I wonder if that's kind of in the direction of travel here. And and the movement of movements actually speaks to this idea that, as you say, there's a lot of different organizations that are exploring new economic systems, new models, um, new sort of social contracts. Like, what does all this change that's happening in the world mean? And, and how do we inspire surges and movements of people to engage in them? Um, and so I think, you know, B Corp and the, the B Corp um, community uh, kind of represent um, a, one element of sort of this movement of, of people who, who are using business as a force for good. Um, the community of B Corps are quite interesting because what they are are businesses that have, as I said, met a very sort of high standard in terms of how they operate um, as well as what they're in the business of doing. And they actually have to score uh, 80 out of 200 mm. um, to even be considered to becoming a B Corp. And I know for a lot of listeners, 80 out of 200, you know, that's not even, that's not even 50%, yeah. but actually it's a really, really hard assessment and it's designed to be mm-hmm. really, really hard. Um, you know, some of the things that are covered in the operational side of it are things like, you know, uh, what's your governance like as a business? How do you engage with your workers? How do you engage with your local community? Um, what is your environmental footprint or how mm-hmm. do you think about environmental conservation through your business? Um, and as well as on the impact business model side. So like what your business is in the business of doing at a strategic level. Like it's so interesting to look at what these different models are mm-hmm. where businesses are actually creating you know, positive mm-hmm. externalities through what they do. Um, the second step to becoming a B Corp as well is once you get that score of 80 out of 200, you actually have to change your legal articles. And that's a really important thing that I think is a, a key definition of, of the B Corp community, um, because actually it's it's embedding these principles really deeply into your sort of DNA as a business. Um, and so I do think that, again, there's this whole incredibly vast movement of movements um, that is emerging, and each of these movements have their own sort of um, you know, elements that are kind of core to their model. And I think that, again, this assessment and this legal change um, and the fact that it's sort of really engaging in this concept of continuous improvement because you have to recertify to become mm-hmm. a B Corp um, every couple of years. You don't just do it once. You have to sort of be on this pathway to constantly uh, be you know, aware of the things that you can do to improve. I think those are things that are kind of core to what the B Corp community is uh-huh. embracing. And just very quick question. Has anyone ever got to 200? No, actually. Um, I, not, not that I know. Actually, I think I would know if they did. Yeah. There's some people that have pretty high scores. Yeah. But again, it's set up to be a very, very sort of aspirational. Right, 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 right. And so can you give us maybe a little bit of the history? You know, how did mm. you... One of the things I'm so, uh, I guess, you know, really strikes a chord with me is both a very stringent but also a universal... Uh, set of criteria and, mm-hmm. and set of assessment because my background is is from uh, sort of social impact and thinking about measurement of different uh, you know the endless obsession with measuring outcomes uh, but between different charities and nonprofits and you know the idea of finding something that universally works across a bunch of different models is is sort of like a pipe dream that that the sector in my world thinks they're going to get to, but probably never will. And then suddenly B Corps come along and they're like, no, we have 200 things which apply to any business. So how did you get to that point? Because that's, I don't know, that's very interesting to me. Mm, well, to be clear, I mean, there is a, like the assessment itself 
Um, but when you sign in to the sort of the online mm -hmm. assessment tool, which is, you know, free and mm -hmm. available for anybody to try. We will add links. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> um, you know, you, you're asked a couple of gating questions up front. Right. And those gating questions are to gauge which version of the assessment okay. is most appropriate for okay. your business. Um, so I need to say up front, like, you know, we're size and sector agnostic. Like, you know, it doesn't really matter how big or small you are um, as a for-profit business. Mm -hmm. um, if you are interested in that journey, then, you know, we will we, we will have a, an assessment that is, is suited to you. Um, so I guess I would say it's not that it's one standard right. across the board. Um, well, I should say it is one standard. It's just different assessments of, for example, how many people you have working with you, okay. what region, what industry you're operating within. In how straightforward was that process of putting mm. those criteria together? Because I think often it's easy to really tie ourselves in knots over the kind of yeah. minutiae of these yeah. kind of quite complicated frameworks. Yeah. Well, there is a really rock star standards team right. um, that has been working on this for over you know ten years. I mean, the B Corp movement has been around sort of for over a decade now, and uh, and I think what they again have embraced is this idea of continuous improvement, mm. and so every of years new versions of the assessment right. come out and they are very much um, building on feedback that's collected you know through the community um, so when you're going through the assessment you can actually say here's a question that doesn't really make sense to me or is there you know a, are there reflections on what some of these questions are about and and that feedback is taken into account mm -hmm. and then incorporated into the next rounds of, of developing the versions we also have a standards advisory council which uh -huh. is made up of like world leaders around some of these topics um, and they're you know involved in this process and so I want to kind of maybe talk through a couple of case studies or kind of examples mm -hmm. because one of the things that's sort of interesting is you know you could imagine B Corps as becoming the sort of the thought leaders or even just leaders in their particular field and bringing along with them a kind of flock of others who sort of maybe don't themselves become B Corps but kind of uh, are inspired and, and influenced to, to grow with them as suppliers, customers, mm -hmm. etc. When someone becomes a B Corp, they obviously start on this journey. It's a continuous process. It isn't their kind of final mm -hmm. destination. What then happens to their competition, their business, you know, do you start to collect that kind of data around what happens next? Yeah, we are starting to collect some of that data. Um, and here in the UK, we do a lot of surveys to understand the dynamics of what are happening in the companies, how, you know, how are things going once mm. they become part of the community. I think um, the way I would like to answer that question yeah, is maybe a little bit around the sorts of values that some of the B Corps are able to capture once they mm -hmm. are part of the community. And what I get really excited about is the collaboration that starts happening cool. between B Corps who find each other um, because they have sort of a shared sense of right. values and they kind of have all come and made it through this process and it's kind of like that community of again shared values and, and respect and, and trust for one another um, I think is a really great platform for, for deeper deeper levels of collaboration so I love it when I see that you know B Corps find each other and find ways of actually working together um, in, in, in as a collective or yeah. as a community um so there are two more questions both mm -hmm. of which i'm sure you get asked all the time but i still want to ask you Great, bring it on. uh the first one is can any business become a b corp any b business can be on a journey to yeah. become a b corp i mean the assessment is again available for anyone to go online and look at ways of which they can sort of benchmark themselves look at the questions that they're they're being presented to think about are these things that they'd want to involve in their business and ultimately yeah be on a journey but i mean are there some types of business activities which would prevent one ever making the 80 out of 100 <laughs> 
So I'm going to answer that question, actually, because I think I know where you're going with yeah. that one. Um, a couple years ago, there's this interesting thought leader in Canada. His name's Paul Klein, and he wrote this really interesting piece, and it was sort of backcasting Exxon. And it was saying, you know, Exxon has had this big announcement in 2025 or 2030, and it is it finally exited from sort of all this very heavy carbon fossil fuel right. industries. And the question he asked was, how did he get there? And oh, he sort of cool. then looked at what are the things that a company like Exxon would do in order to reach this sort of quite momentous achievement. And there were a few things on that list, things like they hired a new CEO who had been with the EDF, the Environmental Defense Fund. They um, started transitioning their you know, petrol or gas stations into mobility stations. They started issuing a new share class, which was about the social and the environmental returns, and they became a B Corp. And, and I think what's interesting about that story is to say that that you know, I you almost don't want to ever say no. You know, a company could never become a B yeah. Corp because, you know, it's actually designed to be a tool to try and help businesses improve. Um, and I, I think obviously there are some industries out there that have um, you know that are not necessarily creating positive externalities and don't necessarily have um, those elements today. But actually, if they can use the assessment to be on a journey to improve their operations, to improve what they do, and ultimately reach a point, then I think we would embrace and celebrate. Um, the use of the assessment tool to get them there. I love the hope and the kind of optimism that you approach that question with, because I mean, you know, that's exactly the the, the use case that I was looking for. Um, but I think that's fantastic that that's the way you approach it. Well, and I should also say, I mean, I think it's one of the values that I find so exciting about the B Corp movement. Actually, exciting is not, not the right word. It is exciting, but um, it's what makes me feel um, so spirited and so connected to this movement. And that's this idea that you know, people are about standing for something, not against something. Yeah. And actually in a world where there's a lot of negativity, um, I think having something that's hopeful, that's positive to focus on actually is a really important direction of travel. And yeah. it's not to say that, you know, we kind of ignore sort of the big challenges that are out there, um, the fear, but it's actually to say that, you know, we, it's, we use the direction of travel that we want to move in something that's hopeful and positive and full of opportunity. Yeah. The word that I learned um, a couple of years ago, that's kind of my mantra with this, is this concept of heliotropy. And heliotropy is kind of a fancy sounding word, but um, gardeners often know it because it comes from botany and it's a concept. Helio is sun. sun, sun. Yeah, trepin is, is turned towards. And I just, when I hear that word, I visualize a field of sunflowers. And I just, I can imagine the blossoms the flowers of that sun those sunflowers just literally following the sun across the sky and and i think that that again that that movement that following of something that is light and full of positivity that heliotropy which is what we see expressed in botany i don't think we're that different as humans i i think and i believe actually that we will grow stronger and taller and faster mm -hmm. when we are motivated by things that are full of light and positivity again it's not to ignore the challenges and the, the fear and despair that's out there, but it's instead, but just to use the energy of positivity mm. to help us find the direction of travel to go in. And I have to say that that's what inspires me about the B Corp movement is that it reflects businesses and people that are operating within those businesses that are focused on that hope, that solution, that positivity. Um, and, and so that's why that word heliotropia has yeah. become important to me. And I found that alive in, in the B Corp community. That's so cool. Just jumping off that enthusiasm, you know, and, and sort of maybe thinking, you know, with your entrepreneur hat a bit, if I 
you know, we're all wrapping up our MBA now, you know, and if I think about some of my friends who are going off to start their own businesses or even have already started their own business, how quickly can you become a beacon? You know, how much can you can you kind of go right out of the box, right? This is how we're gonna do business, or is it something where once you've kind of made some profits you know, mm. got some customers, you kind of think, oh, hang on, I'm not quite sure about the way I'm doing this right now, I need to become a beacon. W- what point in the journey does yeah. it come? Um, so to become a certified B Corporation, you have to have been trading for at least a year. Mm-hmm. And that is because actually the verification process to verify the things that you're putting into your assessment mm. actually need to have documented evidence. Right. And so, um, you know, it's important to know that that evidentiary process actually is in in place. And so, for example, if you say you have an employee handbook um, in your assessment about how you engage with your workers, you know, there is a a process by which a certain number of those questions are, um, you you need to submit evidence to show that your your answers. And so for some of those questions, they would be things like, you know, what is your vendor ledger? You know, what has your turnover been? How much of your profit or your income has come from certain Mm -hmm. areas? Um, And so to have a year of trading is is what you need in order to be able to verify some of those those elements. Now, that being said, what we've done in the UK is we've recognized that there are so many businesses that are starting up and want to embed the principles of being a B Corp kind of from, from their inception. Um, and whether or not those are in your legal documents. So again, if you want to become B Corp, you have to make mm-hmm. this sort of legal change. And actually, instead of changing it, why not start your business yeah. <laughs> with them intact to begin with? Um, and you know, if you're starting a business and, and you want to make sure you have excellent governance processes from the very start, you're engaging, you've got worker policies that are top-notch, um, what we don't want to do is to turn businesses away um, when they're at that sort of inception stage. So again, we've created this kind of status, which we call pending Bs, which essentially means that you're doing everything that you would need to do to become a B Corp, but it, you have to wait until that full Got year it. of trading in order to be fully Very verified. cool. Very cool. Um, yeah. I, I think an interesting segue um, might also into the circular economy realm might be to kind of touch on what are some of the different business models that people can adopt as they're thinking about what what it could look like to embed B Corp principles in kind of from inception. like some of the things that we talked about in uh, the circular economy class. I don't know if that is... I did want to change gears and maybe like slightly switch hats uh, for you. So during the MBA year this year, you've taught the class on circular economy. And maybe you could uh, just draw a picture for us of how kind of B Corps and then circular economy link together. And also for those who aren't aware of the circular economy, maybe take us through a little bit uh, what that means as well. That's not the same question, but we're going to deal with that way anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, so B Corp and circular economy. Um, maybe I'll start with a little bit of what is the circular mm-hmm. economy. Part of me wants to like turn it over to you because actually, I'd I mean, I'd really love to hear what you took away, like what you picked up as the circular economy. Yeah, for me, my my experience with the circular economy comes kind of from that cradle to cradle idea. That, you know, instead of thinking about um, products and services in this kind of linear fashion where you extract something from materials from the earth, you create something, you sell it to somebody, and then they ultimately dispose it at end of life and it ends up in a landfill where it never decomposes. And how can we create a, um, a system where the end product goes back to the beginning? Kind of that circular of, of circle of life idea that... Um, kind of gets explored in like the Lion King, right? And I, and I think that's really what the, the circular economy is trying to bring about in, in a variety of different industries, whether it's 
Um, I think some of the big use cases are in, in carpets, um, but I, there's you, you can think about it in, in a lot of different arenas. And I think um, you're probably a little bit better apt to speak about that than I would be. Oh my gosh, I love that you mentioned the Lion King. And now I'm kind of like kicking myself because we, we had so much fun in the class, or at least I had fun in the class because we started it with music and every day we would have like a new song to try and like get the energy up at 8.30 on a Thursday morning. And I was actually, I tried a lot to think about what are relevant songs to the topic. So like Hamilton, rise up. Um, and I'm just, I'm like, oh my gosh, we totally should have played the circle of life. I'm going to have to like add that to the course for next year. Next year. <laughs> First class is going to be the circle of life. It's Elton John, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. yeah. 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 The whole yeah. soundtrack was Elton John. Yeah. Beautiful. Cause I actually think that that phrase, like the circle of life, actually that is a really amazing way to describe it. And you talked about moving from a linear to a more circular system. And I think the references to some of the natural um, ecosystem approaches to, to this, I think are all really kind of key elements, um, to at least my understanding of what, you know, the circular economy is as well. Um, I have to say, I learned a lot in the class and through the process around like, you know, what the definitions are and also what the different implications and applications of those definitions. And I think in my kind of couple of weeks, since we finished the class in reflecting, I think there are a few things that I really have risen to the top for me. And that is things like this is a systems change. Um, so you remember we talked about like macro, meso economics and like microeconomics, but actually like the systems that we need to, to actually, um, to change, to, to lead to a circular economy are hugely complex. And I think there's a really interesting role for us to, to support, which is around recognizing the overall big systems change that needs to happen. And then what are the steps that can start happening today to get us there? Um, so I think what was great was we heard from some entrepreneurs that are working in the space. I mean, Tristram from Toast Ale and what he's doing. He's also a B Corp. So that's why I was kind of, there's a nice little connection there, yeah. but you know, Toast Ale, which is taking, um, bread, um, that would you know, otherwise be wasted and like destroyed. It's just a terrible story that he shared in terms of what happens to bread. And instead he's sort of taking it and creating beer. And I think what I loved about Tristram and his sort of approach to this was he had this great line about if you're going to, you know, if you want to change the world, you better throw a better party and the people that are destroying it. So, I mean, he's also kind of pulling in the cultural element to, you know, the example of, of the model of, of a sort of a circular kind of business where he's taking, you know, things that would otherwise go in a more linear fashion into mm. a, a non-optimal um, <laughs> use case for those materials. And he's creating a beer and, and he's infusing then that story almost with a, uh, I like a culture shift, which is about right. having fun by enjoying these things. It's funny. I saw a advert on um, Instagram the other day, which was from Hotpoint, who mm. make fridges. Mm. And they have got a new campaign and a whole new kind of uh, social account um, all about food waste. And they've partnered with Jamie Oliver to create a bunch of recipes which are meant to use up your leftovers. She said I thought it was a really interesting kind of move by a you know big corporate yeah. to kind of say okay we're going to target this particular issue this is going to be our like social badge social conscience mm-hmm. issue very very interesting mm-hmm. so when did, so let's break this down a little bit um, maybe if if I if I recycle and I try and use up my leftovers and I have a keep cup and a water bottle that I take with me am I engaging in the circular economy? Or does it, do I need to be a business? Does it go, you know, how much of it is me as a consumer? How much of it is, is the way that I run my business? So I'm a big fan of concepts of both and. 
Um, and I think that's actually how we have to really drive systems change. It, it, you know, I, I think there is a really important role for us as individuals and consumers that we can take um, and we, we need to be taking and we need to be taking them probably even more than just mm. keep, I mean, the cups and recycling are great, but there's also other decisions we can make in our lives around, you know, you know what we're even choosing to buy, what we need, where we're buying it from. So I, I think there is a really, um, there's sort of a range of different ways mm-hmm. which is we as consumers can actually engage in principles of the systems change that we want to see. Um, but I do think, you know, there are a range of other entities that, that need to be taking yeah. active steps, you know, and so those are, you know, private sector companies, you know, you, t- you talked about one example. I mean, I, I think um, the circular economy is almost like a, a really sort of extensive journey to be on. And it's going to take us a long time to get there. So we need actually a whole lot of different mm. sectors and um, industries involved. So there's the role for the private sector. We spend a lot of time talking about investment, like how are investors engaging mm-hmm. in funding and, and fueling sort of circular economy business models. Um, and then, of course, the role of government. So what are sort of the policy levers that can mm-hmm. be pulled? So I guess I'd answer that question to say, like, we need all and to to help us shift um, to a, a systems change, which would, would be embracing the principles of mm-hmm. the circular economy. And when you, and, uh, and you know, listeners at this point will be saying, why didn't she just take the class? Uh, but um, the uh, on the kind of economy side and the economic side of maybe thinking about the investment and the government role, what are some of the things that you see those two actors doing or not doing that you'd like them to do if that makes sense so so we talked a little bit about the circularity of it and the sort of you know it's it's fairly um intuitive to understand you know trying to return one product from where it starts back to where it begins and making sure that it doesn't go to landfill or go to waste Mm. um but on the economic side and the Mm. the system change side what does that side of it look like Mm. if if i can kind of disaggregate those two well yeah and and maybe what i'd love to answer that by is talking about i think one of the interesting economic Mm. Um, components and forces that are in play yeah. and that's um employment mm-hmm. um and and you know it's funny because i think what we're going to see is a real change in terms of the composition of jobs in the future i mean i'm sure you guys have talked about automation and machine learning yeah. and ai in various of these podcasts and i think it's you know um it, it, it's important to recognize the impacts that those are going to have on jobs and jobs are a key part of the economy so i guess one of the things i'm really interested in is looking at people are going to be losing some of the jobs in sectors that exist already. Like what are some of the new jobs that could emerge? And I actually think it'd be so interesting to kind of reignite the industry here in the UK around key jobs that are going to be required to move us Mm -hmm. towards a circular economy. You know, those are jobs that are, you know, some of them exist today, but actually we should find ways to really dial them up. And there's a great report by RAP, which maybe we can include a hyperlink to, which talks a little bit about the millions of jobs that there are potential to create around the circular economy um, in in Europe. Um, Those are, you know, very much aligned with some of the circular economy business models that are out there. So, you know, how do you extend the life of products? Um, How can you create like more of a maintenance and um, repair model? How can you, you know, products as a service, like the jobs that will be opening up if we truly embraced the principles of circular economy as being kind of a defining part of our economic system, I think could be hugely powerful. So I know I'm probably not answering that question exactly the way you were. That's no, that's really interesting. But jobs, circular economy jobs, I think could be an amazing way to, to get the circular economy really adopted 
Um, and and again, I, I think that's where there's a really interesting role for governments to think about, you know, the industrial strategy mm. and the recent industrial strategy that was launched last November, I think it was. Um, there was a, I think it's page 148 in that industrial strategy. Not not that I was looking specifically, <laughs> but, but they actually talk about the circular economy in that in that. Do you, you know, have page 148 frames? I, you know, I, used to, I, ha- I carry it with me. I have like my circular economy package of like of stimulus where I get a chance to meet with people and yeah. I'll pull it out. And one of them is is page 148. Um, and another one of them is this sort of image from RAP that shows like what are the different jobs that are available in the circular economy. Um, I have a whole lot of other things in that pile of paper, but yeah. That's awesome. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much. I, I feel like that's a really good kind of optimistic note. Uh, to end on because particularly uh yes we have had some really interesting conversations about the future of work and some of those end up being pretty pessimistic so it's really nice to have and i wouldn't expect anything different from you but a note of optimism and hope to end it on so thank you very much thank you very much a lot of fun <laughs> thank you for listening to the oxford future of business podcast presented by the Saeed business school if you enjoyed this week's conversation please check out our other episodes on the future of work carbon bubbles blockchain, banks of the future, and what marketing can learn from the dark web. To make sure you get every episode, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. The Future of Business podcast was created by Brody Middleton, Patrick Coyler, Michael Ann Butler, Paris Abrol, and Emily Barron. Thank you for listening and goodbye.